Welcome to the Ashley Webster Experience. Joining us today, Ryan Serhant. Uh, you know him from the Million Dollar Listing New York. He's the ever optimistic guy who uh, huh. gets these big time listings, nails down the deal. But it's interesting because you have a new book out, Ryan. Um, thank you for being here, by the way. Of course. And the title of the book's Sell It Like Serhant How to Sell More, Earn More, and become the ultimate sales machine. And we're not just talking in real estate, but it's selling yourself, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, thank you for having me, by yeah. the way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I wrote the book for, for everybody who wants to sell something and for everybody who wants to just make more money in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Whether you're an individual salesperson or you're a business owner, you know, how to kind of take your business to that next level in a kind of mathematical process, right? The book isn't just about being yourself, you know, have a good personality, go out onto the sales floor and shake everyone's hand. Uh, I don't even think that's in the book whatsoever. But that helps. It always helps. But I, I didn't write a book about common sense. I wrote it for for everybody who wanted to know basically how I went from making $9,000 in my first year to selling just over $830 million worth of real estate last year without no mentor, no boss, just wow. in New York City without a suit trying to figure it out from the ground up. Now, I see in the blurb that, uh, that uh, is attached to the book, it says, Ryan Serhant was a shy, jobless ham model yeah. when he entered the real estate business <laughs> in 2000. 2008, and we all know what happened in 2008. The bottom fell out of the uh, housing market. Yes. But you survived, and you learned, and you are where you are today. It's remarkable. Yes. My first day in real estate uh, was September 15th, 2008, the day that Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. Which, <laughs> good timing. <laughs> yeah, which in hindsight was, was good timing because I had nothing to lose. Right. Mm. Lehman Brothers filing for bankruptcy was only bad if you had money. Right. If you didn't have money, if you didn't have a lifestyle, it was just like any other day. But mm. getting into the real estate business, I just thought you know everything was really, really hard. I thought that people were losing their jobs all the time. And New York City real estate was a tough, tough job. So it was really hard in the beginning. But it was so hard that it was kind of like a boot camp. And as I was mm. getting into it, a lot of agents were getting out. And so as I was teaching myself how to sell, how to prospect, how to get clients, how to work with people across the world, a lot of people were getting out of the business because they were used to the boom, right? right. 04, 05, right. 06, 07. People were buying things sight unseen, money, you know, hand yeah. over fist. It was crazy. It was, it was the good times. And when I got into it, uh, all I knew was it was really bad and it was really, <laughs> really hard and awful. And I had also spent two years in the city prior because I graduated in college in 2006. Mm -hmm. I spent two years in the city trying to be an actor because that's right. that thing that I wanted to do and couldn't make any real money doing it. And so I ran out of money uh, and got into sales. But, you know, at that, those two years taught me kind of about rejection and about kind of getting rejected over and over and over. But it was always personal. Like I would get rejected to my face, right, <laughs> about my face. I get rejected about my hair, how, how tall I was. You know, I would spend so much That's time. Hard to take, right? Yeah, I get the hair thing a lot too, but yeah. Yeah. I haven't cut it, it yet. It is hard. <laughs> and then you get into sales, and most people – actually, the number's pretty uh, staggering. In New York City, I think it's about 82% of all new real estate salespeople quit in the first 12 months because it's just too hard. They can't make money, and then they can't handle the rejection because right. they meet with someone, they show them an apartment for a month, and then the person never picks up their phone ever again. But now you yeah. get to do the two things you love. You're not really acting, let's be honest, on the Bravo show because you're being yourself. Yes. But there mm -hmm. is an element in there that you're aware of where the camera is. You yes. know what the viewer wants to see. It's yeah. actually really interesting. People are fascinated by real estate, homes, 
And the process of listing one and dealing with people who may buy the property, yeah. it's kind of a it's, a it's a natural for television. It's remarkable. Yeah, it's uh, it's worked pretty well for me. Yeah. You know, I got very, very lucky. But not everyone can do it, Ryan. Yeah. You have to have the sense of where the camera is. You have to know what sells. You have to have the right energy. Sure. Yeah. And to create the drama of whatever the situation be. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, the drama is all real, you know, for me and my stress level. Sure. Uh, but they, they follow us around for nine months out of the year when they shoot Million Dollar Listing New York for Bravo. And, you know, the other show I did this year, Sell It Like Sirhan, which is also on Bravo, which is the yeah. same title as the book, that was an even tougher show because that was me spending a week uh, every other week with one person dedicated just to them, helping them learn how to sell. And they weren't selling real estate. That was teaching someone how to sell wine, how to sell hot tubs, how to sell body waxing wow. memberships. <laughs> that was that was tough. But it's all very real. It's very visceral. And, and I can tell why people like it. You're a young guy, aren't you? How old are you? Guys? 34. You're 34. Yeah. You've got... A hit TV show. But my hair is grayer than yours is. No, so. no, 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 no. Listen, <laughs> you've moved into this beautiful seven, eight million dollar townhouse in, in Brooklyn. Not yet. I have to renovate it first, but I will. But I've seen inside. I've seen the inside. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. fantastic. You have Thanks. a lovely wife, a very supportive. I mean, life is pretty darn good. You're 34 years old. Yeah. What are the, what, what are, what's the one message that you can give someone out there who's not in your position right now and is wondering where the next dollars are going to come from and what they're going to do with their life? I mean, that was me in the summer of 2008. I didn't get into real estate because I like real estate. I don't. I still, to this day, don't walk into apartments and get excited about the window treatments. You know, there are people who really like that, but for me, I I really enjoy the process of a sale and the process of the deal and working with the people, which is why I probably liked acting in the first place. Mm -hmm. Kind of that, you know, that, that kind of like gig lifestyle. Um, uh, but I had completely ran out of money. Like I remember getting my debit card declined at the food emporium on 59th Street and not knowing what to do, and then just running out of the grocery store because I was so freaked out. Yeah. I didn't panic. want to move home. Yeah. yeah, you panic. And I sat on the yeah. subway, you know, this car and like eyes welled with tears. I'm like, I'm going to have to move home. I can't afford to live in the city anymore. I hate everybody. I hate everything. Mm. But there's always tomorrow. You know, that's that's kind of the advice I would give myself anyway. If I go back to that period, like tomorrow is always another day to turn it around. And as long as you do the work, the work will take care of you. And so the first three years in real estate, I did not take a day off. One, because I didn't have an option. Like, what was I going to do? <laughs> right? Two, it, it, every day that I didn't take off, my competition was, and I was getting that much further ahead of them and ahead mm. of them and ahead of them. And all it is is just showing up and just doing the work. And if you tell yourself, I'm going to meet five new people every day because my business revolves around meeting new people, networking, I'm in sales, then actually doing it. So your personality lends itself. You're obviously a very quick off the mark, you know how to deal with people. Mm -hmm. Did you have that going in? You have that personality because there are some people out there who may be listening to this saying, "Yeah, but I kind of I have a hard time meeting new people." Yeah, but that's 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 something that's teachable, right? And that's what I learned in doing the Sell Like Sirhan TV show is that the sales muscle is all teachable. Like I up until. I graduated college, was super shy. I, I just stayed by myself. I was overweight for most of it, so I was really self-conscious. Um, I thought I wanted to be this actor, but I didn't you know, know if I could ever make it. And so I was very, very introverted, and I just hung out with like the theater kids and had to move around schools a lot because kids would pick on me in like, junior high and all that. Mm -hmm. So my parents would move me around. Um, uh, but you know, there's, I, I would say to anybody who says they, they're not quick on their feet, they don't know how to talk to people, they don't like strangers, is there's a simple solution for that. 
not, and that's you take an improv class. You go and you sign up for improv, and everybody should do it. An absolute nightmare for those who yeah. don't, yeah. don't feel Just comfortable. Just throw yourself out there. Listen, if, if, if it was easy, everybody would do it, <laughs> right? So, But improv for me – um, when I moved to New York City, was incredibly important to opening me up because it teaches you to never answer a question with the word no. Right? It teaches you to always say yes and then figure it out because that's the game. It's yes and. So you always figure it out, and then it teaches you that everybody is a stranger. Right? Even your best friend, think about who they are. At one point in time, they were a stranger. True. Maybe you met them when you were four years old. I don't know. But <laughs> you know, every single person we know to this point in time was a stranger at some point. And that's what's kind of exciting about it. You know, and then it becomes a game. So then it's not this personal thing that you get so drawn out about. For me, then it becomes a game every day. Like how many people can I meet? That's my game. That's how I, that's how I figure out if I was successful that day or not, not based on how many deals I've done. How much of it is the power of persuasion, especially in the real estate uh, arena, because you're dealing with people. People who are putting their place, their home for sale, they obviously will not often want too much for it because that's human nature. Yeah. And then on the other side, you have the people who are wavering. Well, I like it, but I'm not quite sure. It's a, it's would be to me very frustrating arena to be in because you're constantly trying to oh, yeah. caress people mm-hmm. yeah. into saying, "Don't panic. This is a good deal, and here's why." Or you know, it, it seems to me a very uh, a difficult from a from a psychology point of view, if you like, yeah. to deal with these people. Yes, we are psychologists in the middle. Whether you're brokering a $100 deal yeah. or a $10 million deal, right? The, per- the buyer thinks they want it, but they really like shopping. You know, the spending mm-hmm. of the money is scary, and the seller always wants more, and they always think that they're underselling. Um, and, you know, your question is, is kind of right in line with the question I get all the time of, you know, how do I close? I can't close. I can meet people. I can talk to them, but I don't know how to go in for the close. How do yeah, I do that? Yeah. And it's that you, you never set up expectations at the beginning. You know, that's a big problem people have. So if you get to the point where you have to go between people and, and say, listen, this is what we should do. It's a good deal. You've sometimes already lost the battle because you didn't set the expectations from the beginning that this is going to end in a deal and this is how we're going to do it. And you make it part of that game so that they're right there with you. And also, you, you always start a dialogue. Right? It's never forever. Nothing is ever finite. You know, If you're on the fence about purchasing something, there's always a number in your head that's under the asking price or under the sticker price that will right. make you feel better. Throw it out there. Who knows? Like, you always help people by, by kind of going into a really cold pond right, or a cold pool. Right. You always go in with the toe, and then it's the <laughs> foot. right? And then before you know it, a couple minutes later, you're jumping in and out, and the temperature feels perfectly normal. But it didn't 10 minutes ago. It's the same thing when you're selling. But people always want to say, especially on the buyer's side, I'll just shoot really low. And you can say, no, that, you know, they'll have a lot of agents who say, you can't, you can't offer that. That's just that's in- insulting. Yeah. But then it's kind of the Donald Trump approach to things where you just shoot really low or, you know, and then come up to somewhere. Always. Uh, you know, that's the way the negotiation works, it seems to me. Yeah. I, I always, unless, unless there's a lot of competition for a really good sure, place. Sure. Mm-hmm. If there's a lot of competition, then you're shooting yourself in your yeah. own foot if you come in too low. So you have to make that decision with the salesperson or, or on mm-hmm. your own. But I always encourage low offers. You never, ever know. Mm-hmm. You never know, especially with the way we price things in the United States. You know, the United States model is so weird. The seller comes up with the price. 
not the buyer, like every other market, right? Like the equity markets. Right. It's mm-hmm. not like the, it's not, you know, the, the, the companies aren't sitting there saying, I want $100 a share exactly. and putting it out there and then right, nothing happens. Right. No, you set a price, you see where the market takes you, and that's how you go, right? That's selling real estate is the exact yeah. opposite. The seller says, I want a million dollars. They don't care what the market thinks. <laughs> they just say, I want a million dollars, and they'll let it sit there for a year with no takers because, oh, real estate can take some time. Have you noticed in, the, in certainly the New York market prices, perhaps they overbuilt, they asked too much. Is it coming down now into a more reasonable level where you can – I don't want to say it's driven by greed because who doesn't want to make the maximum amount of money for sure. what you've, you know, from the construction point of view, if it's a new home or whatever. But it does feel like New York, unlike a lot of the rest of the country, prices have come down a little bit. They have. Uh, new York is always first. Right? New York mm-hmm. is the financial capital of the country. New York is where the biggest construction firms are and the most developers are. So New York always gets hit first hard, and they always rise first hard. So for the last two years, New York has been a buyer's market. Right, The prices mm-hmm. have started to correct, and they right. correct more mm-hmm. and more every day. It's very strange. And having that conversation with sellers and trying to explain to them – the economy may look good. Equity markets may be really, really strong, but that is not a direct correlation with the real estate market because people have a fear of missing out within mm-hmm. the equity market. So they don't want to pull their money out. Right. So then real estate just starts to pile up and pile up and pile up and things don't sell and then prices start to come down. The rest of the country has been in a crazy seller's market for the last 10 years, yeah. but they are now starting to see cracks as well from Chicago to Texas to California. Things are starting to take a little bit longer to sell because of overbuilding. And mm-hmm. Manhattan, just you have mm-hmm. that to like the nth degree. Right. Well, what about New York City with all the luxury construction that's been occurring over the last what five ten years right is that is do you think luxury construction in new york and the rest of the country is going to start to plateau uh i don't know you know real estate development in new york city has always been and i think will be for a long time uh, a good career for a lot of people so there's a lot of developers who will always figure out ways to create more business for themselves and real estate developers are fund managers and as long as some Mm. bank somewhere or some person is going to give them the money to build they'll do the absolute best they can and you know the luxury market in new york city at the end of the day is somewhat recession proof Like Mm -hmm. when the recession hit in 2008, Mm -hmm. the apartments that actually sold were the big ones because those people, maybe they're not worth – Ten million anymore, but they're worth five. Yeah, that's still five million more than what a mm-hmm. lot of people are worth, and they still need a home. Their wife needs a good closet, and their kids need to go to school down the block. Mm-hmm. Like those are the apartments that will sell no matter what. They'll fluctuate, right? But they'll always move, and so that's why developers tend to build them so much. So are the super buyers? And we're talking the very high end. Are they still from? We always hear it's the Russian oligarchs, yeah. the Chinese, uh, the from Saudis. the Middle East, the Saudis. Yeah. Is that still the case? Uh, yes, not so much in New York uh, recently, right? You have a lot of people who are kind of looking at New York from afar now trying to figure out, is it a place I want to put my money? Uh, you have a mayor here who's kind of against publicly foreign investment, right? You have a president that's all over the place and people don't know, right? Should I go to New York now? Should I wait? Who knows? Um, uh, but foreign investment is always a big boon for the economy here. Has mm-hmm. tax reform had any impact because the high-tax states, the Connecticut's, the yes. New York's, and New Jersey's, you can't write off as much as you used to. Does that hurt? Yes, 100%. It's it's taken a lot of – well, it's taken a lot of people in New York City who are on the fence about leaving sometime, mm. and it's given them a reason to move. 
you know, especially out of New Jersey and especially out of Westchester where real estate taxes yeah. are just so high. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the economy has changed. People make money in so many different ways now. If you don't need to be in New York every single day, if you could do your job from a computer anywhere, if you can move your right. company somewhere yeah. – Texas is a great place. Texas and Miami. I read Texas that. and yeah. Miami. It's you know, Austin and Miami all no day, state every income day. tax goes a yeah, long way. It does. You should relocate this podcast, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this podcast can happen from anywhere. It really could. Yeah. yeah. My garage. And Just fly game. people in. There yeah. are companies. You know, we have clients, and they work for companies where you know, they have now relocated. Yeah to Florida and the company has a plane and they just fly back and forth because it's cheaper to do that which is an obscene cost anyway than it is to pay the tax so why would why would you live in New York? I mean, New yeah. York is great. Everyone should live here. I'm a broker. You should call me. That's it. We have to place that. That's it. It's just something that comes up a lot. I want to get back to the book, Ryan, very quickly because I didn't know how to say this, but I wanted you to explain your get FKD theory. Yeah. You say it's one of the most valuable secrets to your success. I'm just going to call it your FKD. Yes, great. Perfect. Well, that's what I call it. Finder, right. finder keeper, doer. Ah, yes. Thank goodness. Yeah, no, there's a thing to it, I promise. Um, listen, when I first got into sales, I had no boss. I had no mentor. I was given a desk with a computer, and I was told to post ads on Craigslist, meet people in Starbucks. That was the rental broker way of life in New York City in right. 2008. Kind of still is for new agents. but So I didn't know what to do. I, I'd wake up. I had nothing on my calendar from 9 to 5. What do you do? I don't like mm. what do I post? How do I meet people? Where right. do I get leads in the first place? And so I had to figure out a way to create my own company within a company. If Ryan Serhant myself is going to be a salesperson, what am I going to do 9 to 5 to bring in business, close that business, you know, think about my whole life really as a business. And so I set it up into three ways and actually broke it down into my calendar, right, which I still do to this day. And it works especially well for especially newer salespeople. Mm-hmm. So the, for the first two hours of my day, and it can be different for everybody, I would just write a big F and that was finder. So for those two hours, I now didn't have nothing to do. I had two hours worth of CEO work to do. I was the finder for RyanSirhantRealEstate.com. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was prospecting. I was finding clients. I was prospecting. I was brainstorming. I was thinking. Almost consider it like meditation. You know, if you actually spend time to sit and think instead of putting out fires all day long and instead of being busy, 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 busy Mm. doing nothing, Mm -hmm. if you sit and think and focus about how to build your business, things will come up. You will think of new things. Sometime in the afternoon, 12 to 1 or so, I would do the the keeper, right? Finder, keeper, doer. So keeper, and that would be like the CFO. And so I just think about all the money I didn't have. And <laughs> if I had $10 to spend, I like a CFO, I would put it into postcards. How many postcards can I do that day with 10 bucks to get out to that building because I want to sell in that building? And uh-huh. then the rest of the day would be the doer. So that's the D. And that's the COO. That's operations. That's work. That's doing everything. That's meeting five new people a day, putting it into my con. Tax. So if I didn't have appointments, I was booked from nine to five for my own company. I'm my own Fortune 500, and I just don't even know it. And that, like, that really, really helped me structure my days so that every day had a purpose, and every day I was moving forward productively with something to fight for versus just waking up and saying, I need coffee. You know, you're a mel- – I'm just – actually, I'm listening to you. You're a millennial. But you are so no what you're so <laughs> not what we think of yeah. as a millennial who I'm you know I'm, I'm a millennial fa- by default. Yeah, yeah, but, I'm I'm fa- <laughs> I'm, but I'm fairly or not, and you're a millennial too, Brian Solomon. But 
you know, they're kind of cast as this generation of people who expect things to be given to them, that they're not willing to put in the time. It's a disease. It's a disease, and uh, it may be unfair because, of course, everyone is different. But you have the drive, and you're doing these things. How hard is it for those people out there who maybe don't have that same drive? How can you get them fired up? Listen, the hardest thing I've ever tried to teach somebody is is initiative, right? It's really hard to teach someone to want more for themselves. Right. It is. It's really hard. And I think the problem is uh, people become so comfortable with the status quo, and it's easy to be lazy. It is easy to be angry. It's easy to be jealous. Like all of those feelings that people have so often, you have them because they're the easy ones. It is hard and takes real effort to be happy. It, it is hard True. to be enthusiastic. You're right. I mean, physically, when I was acting, it was it was told to us by acting teachers. It is harder physically to smile than it is to frown. You mm-hmm. use more muscles to frown um, than you do smile, and it's like it, it takes more work. Right. To be to be happy. And so I but I also credit a lot of it to, you know, how I was raised. Right. Like I, Mm -hmm. you know, my parents were very, very strict. They were very conservative. I had to work all the time. My dad paid me. I don't even know. He would get upset if I said this, but it was like two dollars. I think it was like a dollar per stick. And I would have to pick up sticks in the yard and, like, place them nicely away. So hey. it was lots of yard work. It was lots of construction work. Valuable lessons. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what it taught me, um, I think, like, ten summers later, was I better work my ass off so hard doing something else so I never have to pick up another stick or bring up shingles to another roof ever again for the rest of my life. Well, if what made you want to go from real estate into reality tv what made you push to that uh oh i mean i just went to an open casting call you know and i'd been doing acting before and then real estate was something that was really really hard and i saw an open casting call for the new york version of million dollar listing new york uh, the new york version of million dollar listing at that hudson hotel in march of 2010 Mm -hmm. and i just figured all right i can go to that let's see what happens (laughs) Uh, and what I did went. you have to do, by the way? How did they do? What was, what was the casting called? Like? It was actually they didn't cast us until like seven months later. Wow! But the first audition was a uh, just an interview on camera where they asked us the most random questions, like, "Are you the best broker in New York City?" Why are you the best broker in New York City? What's your biggest deal? What's your smallest deal? You know, who are you as an animal? Like just random <laughs> casting questions. Yeah, exactly. I'm a tiger. <laughs> yes. And so they wanted to see how you would react on camera and yeah. kind of what you would do. Um, and then but after you were that, ready was, for that, obviously. Kind of, yeah. But so not as a real estate agent. I was <laughs> relatively fresh. I've been doing real estate for a year and a half when that happened. What's your most memorable deal, Ryan? My most memorable deal. Oh, man. They're all memorable. One. I know. Um, <laughs> Honestly, we have a closing tomorrow that is it's a memorable deal for me um, because I've been working on it since, I want to say, 2013. Oh, my oh, gosh. Um, Five well, years? Oh, yeah. Some of my I don't want to jinx it. We, we maybe shouldn't jinx it, though. No, they'll close. Don't okay. Worry. Yeah. He's going to make um, sure of it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a big one. It's on Park Avenue. But I've been working on that client since 2013, just gaining their trust and working on them over and over and over. Right. Um, and it took a while, and it's $36 million, and Ooh. so they're hmm. close tomorrow. So tomorrow, that'll be great. Yeah. But five years 
Right? Yeah. You, you divide that out by by how many days there are yeah. in a year that's since 60 the day we months. met. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a lot, right? Yeah. So then it's, well, I don't know. So for most other brokers, it's not that impressive because it took me so damn long. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm all about pipeline and getting things into the future because I work for future Ryan. Like that's who my boss yeah. is, myself in the future. How much has the TV show helped you? Your business. I mean, immensely. People come in. I want the TV guy. I want Ryan from Bravo. Uh, uh, no, not no? really. I wish that happens in LA. Uh, here, <laughs> not so much. They're not so impressed in New no, York. They are. <laughs> they are. People are. You know, the show really helped me open doors that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to open. Mm-hmm. But I have to open them. I have to reach out. I have to cold call. I have to cold email. I have to stop people on the street. That hasn't stopped. And then I have to let them know. Oh, also. NBC Universal and Bravo have uh, they've chosen me as one of the top three realtors in New York City, so you should have trusted me too. And that was like initially my my punchline. That's with a people. heck of a selling yeah. point, right? And then, but most people in New York don't want cameras around all the time, so it's uh, it's not you know the people who call me every day or call my office are like the people with farms in Panama, <laughs> you know, the people who have watched it and they want me to help sell their castle uh, in Berlin and yeah. like all of these things, which is cool. And I'm very very like, like, I'm very grateful for all the opportunity. Sure. Um, but the, listen, the show helped accelerate my career in a way that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. What's it like to have cameras follow you all the time? Because personally, I can't imagine it. But you guys, they literally follow you everywhere mm. you go, into your house, everywhere. Yeah, sort of. I mean, they're not with me right now. Like mm-hmm. They're with me when I At know that they're so. – Exactly. <laughs> they're with me when I know that they're going to be there. Like we yeah. will say they're going to tell me, hey, tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. we're going to be in your apartment. I'm like, okay. Mm, great. I don't know what's going to happen, but all right, I'll see you there. <laughs> uh, or I'll tell them, listen, I have this amazing new listing. I'm going to meet the seller on Monday at 1 o'clock. Let's, let's film that. Let's see what happens. And so that's kind so of it's it. it's more you you drive it kind more. Of. It's not like Jersey Shore where they had cameras everywhere. Right. Not, I think that format works when you live somewhere mm-hmm. and it's like a bunch of people in a house, like road rules yeah, or like yeah, the, the right. real world, Big like brother. classic. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. You're in a house and it's twenty four seven. Whatever happens, happens. I'm fascinated because you're a guy on the go. You know, I feel like your brain never turns off. Even so, when do you have time to write a book? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's all time management, right? Just putting it into the finder, keeper, doer system. So it was, uh, so what part of FKD was that? The doer, for sure. The doer. doer. It was a D. Yeah. It was a couple hours a week, right? And we would work. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of, you know, it's really my playbook on sales. So it's not, it's not fiction. It's not like I had to invent things for it. Right. I just had to take all of my thoughts on sales and figure out how to structure them and tell them through interesting deal stories and then make it funny. Like I don't, I didn't want to write a boring textbook on selling. I didn't want to write like a pompous, lame book. I wanted to write like a real playbook that would be useful for my team members and people that sell um, who would also get a kick out of it because mm-hmm. it is ridiculous. True, but what do you hope people get out of it? I mean, if, if, I, if people could be helped with it to figure out how learning how to sell on the side even could help them pay down their student debt so that they could live a little more comfortably – I will have done my job. I have to leave it right there. When's the next book, I guess? Oh, man. I don't know. <laughs> so I, like, I put my whole life in this one. i got to figure it out. I need, I to, ask one, the, I need yeah. to ask one more question. So on the show, do you guys get along or don't you? That's, yeah. that's the biggest mystery, I think. I mean, on the show, it is. I mean, Tell it's the all, truth. It's all real. <laughs> like, it's all whatever you see happens yeah. is what happens. Yeah. Uh, but I will say is, like, we're friendly because we're all in the same business and we've been doing this show, this kind of weird, crazy thing for yeah. so long. Mm-hmm. But – 
it is a very competitive marketplace, right? There are 80,000 real estate brokers in this city, and <laughs> only really? and less than 12,000 homes will sell every wow. year. So wow. we're all yeah. fighting for the same business, and listen, sometimes the fangs have to come out. They do. <laughs> and on that note, before they do, Ryan yeah. Serhant, thank you so much. The book again, Sell It Like Serhant. I'm going to give you the little byline, How to Sell More, Earn More, and Become the Ultimate Sales Machine. Yes, sir. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks today. for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it. And thank you, everyone. We'll see you back here next time. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.